You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We are here now in our second to last week in our summer series through the book of Proverbs. And we look at the topic today of children and family. Um, And if you don't have kids, you're thinking, I get the week off. But not so fast. You know, sermons on children and family, I, I know, can bring up some strong emotions to, to those who are single or divorced or widowed or whose childhood brings um, nothing but painful memories. And maybe you are here thinking, well, what do I have to do with children and family? I don't, I'm not in that, that kind of affinity or demographic, but my, my hope for all of you this morning, all of us, man, woman, child, no matter your stage in life or situation that you would feel included, that you would feel encouraged and valued as your role in the family, because God speaks to this greater spiritual reality of the people of God as his family. And I know that can sound a little kind of cringeworthy at times. Uh, You know, it's like the boss kind of calling everybody at work together and saying, you know, we're a family. And you're like, that's not, I don't want this to be gross, (laughs) you know, or, or, uh, Olive Garden saying, you know, when you're here, you're family. And I'm like, all right, thanks. Now I know not to go there, right? So it's like, so what is this? The church is a family. And so what is that? What is that? It's, it's kind of cringeworthy. And, but um, we get down to the nitty gritty. We're talking about doing life together in a special way. There's something unique about the family. Of course, the, um, the nuclear family of, of uh, parents and children there's something unique about that within the, the family of God. There's something unique about how we do life together as God's family. And then there's this, there's this shared community within the church where children are to be raised in a loving and safe environment where they encounter the love of God. And that encounter with the love of God is a community endeavor. This is where we all come in. This is where we all come under God's word and hear what is God's heart for the family? What's his heart for me as a part of his family? And this is where we get to have this lifelong generational impact. No matter who you are, no matter what your life stage, whatever your story is, we are invited into this lifelong generational impact within the family of God. You, mothers and fathers and grandparents, married, single, or it's complicated. Whatever your story is, you have a role in this shared community to create an environment where children know and love God. It's a special privilege that we all have. And this morning, I want you to consider how God is calling you personally to engage in this special calling in the family of God. And so this is for all of us. There'll obviously be aspects where some of you will feel this is more for you and closer hitting to home where you presently live. But it's a topic that requires a lot of humility, a lot of sensitivity, a lot of ownership, because our hearts are tied so deeply to the family. Um, But like I said last week, and really I was, we should say, Every week when we talk about topics like this, this is not about what I think. So this isn't a time to hear about my wisdom as a father and husband and 
any of that. This is not about my experience. It's not about even me imposing my parental uh, thoughts onto you. And this is also not about what you think. I hate to tell you, this is about what God thinks. And so for all of us, every week we come under God's word and we say, God, what do you think? What do you think? And so when we look at Proverbs and we're looking at these important themes, we really can't, we can't get through this important book without looking at the, the topic of children and family because it is thorough in there. God's word is a, a, a treasure of instruction, of comfort, of guidance, of hope, and we should seek it like a hidden treasure. And we should seek out his wisdom for children and family like a hidden treasure. The setting of Proverbs is written uh, by a father to a son. And that's really the setting, is a father speaking to a son, and that his desire is for the son to grow in wisdom and to live his life with wisdom so that he would gain understanding in order to enjoy all that God desires for him. And so he pleads with his son, my son, receive my wisdom and my instruction in, in all of these different areas. And so this is a letter from a parent to a child. And I see a handful of things that this father desires to give to his son, which is also wisdom for us. He gives three things, I see, to give direction. He gives discipline, and he gives delight. We're going to look at those three this morning. That's what the father in Proverbs wants for his child and what we should want also for ours. First, let's look at direction. He desires to give his child direction. And this is that famous verse in Proverbs 22 that if you are a parent and have heard a sermon on parenting, you've probably come across this passage. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is that famous proverb for parents, exhorting parents to engage thoughtfully, intentionally, actively in the discipleship of their children through instruction, training, telling and showing them the difference between right and wrong, honorable, dishonorable, God honoring, and God dishonoring. And there's this weird out-of-body experience that a first-time parent feels when they take their newborn child home from the hospital and arrive through the door of their home and stand there for the first time and then say, what now? <laughs> if you gave birth in the bathtub, then the answer is, I don't know, drain in and clean up. So some of you didn't come home from the hospital. Some of you are like, well, we were at home. But there's still that feeling that comes over you of like, what's the next step? Where's the nurse? Is someone coming in to help this baby? It's crying and screaming. No one puts the child on the floor on that first day and says, let's, let's see him figure this out. Let's see him come up with an answer. Let's see him figure it out because we know that our children need direction, guidance, instruction. We know that they come just without any of those skills, tools, wisdom, and it needs to be given to them. The traditional way of instruction uh, was through, which many of our parents experienced, this strict authoritarian commands. Uh, the more modern form of instruction seems to be a more supportive role and allowing your children to kind of uh, discover their own way of life on their own. The wisdom of, of God doesn't really point to one or, or the other as a favoring of one or the other, but towards not controlling your child's every move and not uh, giving them too much freedom, freedom nor 
uh, becoming too harsh and demeaning, but teaching our children how to become wise and righteous. And this comes through imparting God's standard of morality along the way. Just in the first seven chapters of Proverbs, we see a, a huge list of this. Just throwing some of these up on the screen here, uh, just at a quick look through the first seven chapters, we see uh, several passages. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not lose sight of these. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Don't forsake my teaching. Let your heart hold fast my words. Hear, my son, and accept my words. My son, be attentive to my words. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. My son, keep my words. You see this over and over and over again. Throughout the Proverbs, this father saying, giving direction to his son over and over and over again. If you feel like you are saying the same thing as a parent over and over and over again to your child, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily failing. Look how repetitive the Proverbs are. Look how repetitive God is to us as his children. How often does he tell us the same thing over and over and over and over again. How often have you caught yourself saying as a parent, don't make me repeat myself? How many times do I have to tell you? If you would have listened the first time, we wouldn't be in this situation. Wouldn't it be great if we listened the first time to what God told us? But God knows, as a good father that he is, he knows that repetition is part of being a parent. It's part of directing us. It's part of directing our hearts and our minds and our habits. God directs us as a good parent, as a good father. He is good in all that he does, and he repeats himself often. And we need that, and our children need that. Embedded within our call to make disciples of our children is the art of repetition. We often see repetition as a barrier to getting what we want out of our children. But here within God's word, we see this strange wisdom of repetition. It's supposed to be embedded within our parenting and our leadership and our disciple making. Saying the same thing in different ways over and over and over again. Why? Because we are directing our children how to live. We often forget what God says. Train your child in the way that he or she should go. So my, my encouragement to you is settle in for the long journey of repeating yourself. And what, what if you changed kind of your, your orientation for how you view having to say the same thing over and over again? Instead, set, set in. Be here for a while. That to make a disciple, you will have to repeat yourself a lot. And that is not a sign of failure. But that's what God does for us. Just embrace it as a call. Embrace it as a responsibility. Instruction is not a one-time event, but rather it's a, a lifetime endeavor. This explains why Proverbs often repeats the same themes and even the same words and same verses over and over and over again. Children need repetition. This is a way of being faithful to our call to give direction. Often saying the same things over and over again, maybe in a different situation, adjusting a couple words here and there, sometimes even saying the exact same thing. 
Consider when you lose patience and don't want to repeat yourself. You ever felt that way? You ever done that? <laughs> you ever wonder why you feel that way? What, what's happening in that moment? It's either because you're, you're not prepared for that situation or you ca- it caught you off guard to have to repeat yourself again. You were tired and exhausted. Uh, your heart wasn't in it. You just weren't ready. And having to, get, having to explain yourself again is just really frustrating. It really stresses you out. You feel you, sh- you, have, you shouldn't have to do that. Because if you say something once, it should be obeyed. But look at what God does for us. Say it one more time, I forgot. But be kind, this, be kind because I, I can barely handle the pain of knowing my own failure. I think this is why the next proverb divide, really guides our hearts as we guide our children. Take a look at Proverbs 6.20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they'll talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. I want you to hear in this the gentleness and love in the tone of this exhortation. It's talking about repetition, right? But it's talking about it in such a way and with a tone that is so gentle, so kind, so life-giving. Repetition ought not to be a kick in the neck, but like a garland around the neck. When we repeat ourselves, it ought to be like a kiss on our child's neck rather than a slap in the face. Repetition ought to be a loving touch, a loving reminder. Giving children direction is a kiss. Telling them again shouldn't feel like a curse to us, but it is a kiss. I think we've all been around people and witnessed people correcting their children and we feel to ourselves or mumble to ourselves, well, that was just nasty. I know we've all corrected our children at times and thought to ourselves, well, that was just nasty. When you give instruction to a child, even if it's like the hundredth time, it's like placing a gold medal on their neck. That's what this passage is saying. The father is, is, keeps repeating himself, and as he is doing it, he's He's, he's doing it with such gentleness and kindness, and the teaching itself is, is a jewel. It is a gem. It is an honor. It is a reward. It is a garland. As we give instruction and direction to our children so many times, it feels like a burden. I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to tell you again. But what if when we did this, we saw it as it really was? Every time we give instruction from God's word, it is an invitation into joy. And it's like putting a gold medal around their neck. And so we give them direction. We give them direction. Don't, do not, do not be, don't neglect giving your children direction over and over and over again, because when they're old, they will not depart from it. We give them direction. Another thing we give them, and this father in Proverbs gives, is Discipline, discipline, of course, discipline, giving direction 
and giving discipline are both an act of love. Proverbs 22, verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I'm so amazed at what kind of instincts that children have when they come into this world. It's fascinating. If you've been able to witness it yourself, you know what I'm talking about. The moment a child is born, they know this is the food hole. There's no, they didn't, no one had to teach them that. You know, they just, they just know, they just, they just know what that's for. This is the food hole. There's something written in their being, in their constitution. There's this instinct in them. Some instincts of children are just breathtakingly beautiful and helpful for design and for life giving. And the Bible tells us that children have instincts that are not beautiful not life-giving, and not helpful. They have an instinct to sin. They have an instinct to rebel. They have an instinct for foolishness and disobedience. Children are born to resist godly instruction and discipline. There are natural laws in the world, like gravity. There are civil laws in the world, like speeding or tax evasion, There are also spiritual laws that God gives to us, and to go against such laws will bring painful consequences, just like the laws of this world. God knows that we hate the consequences of his discipline, but he knows that later it will bear enormous good fruit if he disciplines us. Child abuse is a horrible evil, We're not talking about that. All of Proverbs rebukes the harsh disciplinarian or the parent who disciplines out of anger to brutalize their child, to get them to do what they want them to do. But the loving, reasoned, and even painful at times reprimand of a parent imitates the loving discipline of God. The aim of direction and discipline is to not get your kids to get in line and to do what you want them to do. Direction gives them a standard by which to live, a godly standard, and discipline exposes their inability to get it right. And every time you direct them, every time you discipline them, you are leading them, leading them into the heart of God. And to neglect discipline is to lead them far from the heart of God. And so we discipline. We discipline in times that are painful as God disciplines us even when it's painful, but he knows it'll bear fruit later that is good. It is hard. I know it is so difficult to see our children hurting, especially at our hands. What we have in mind, driving from them a rebellious heart. God says he loves those he disciplines. He corrects those whom he loves. He desires to drive from our hearts those seeds of rebellion and disobedience and selfishness and pride. And he does it in a loving way. He does it with, with tears in his eyes. He does it with scars in his hands as he disciplines he, his own son for us. He puts all of his wrath for the punishment of sin. He disciplines our sin by way of killing his son. 
He knows the pain of it, but he knows the fruit that it bears. The last thing we give to our children, we have discipline, we have delight, or we have direction, and now we have delight. We give them delight. A, well, a well-behaved child is not the same thing as a discipled child. So a, an obedient child is not the same thing as a godly child. Proverbs has a lot to say about godly behavior. It has a lot to say about obedience and discipline, but behavior modification is not our main goal. It's so easy, actually, to raise a Pharisee. It's really easy just to, to, to raise a child who knows and follows God's rule, but whose heart is far from it. And that is why the Proverbs don't direct us just simply to discipline in such a way that gets your kids to obey and to live good, external, well-behaved lives. The direction we give to them is not simply just to their behavior modification, but it goes to a place that is far deeper. We want our kids to be obedient to God, not because they're intimidated by God or intimidated by us, but because they genuinely delight in love and trust in God's love and care for them. Something we could give to our children that can reach their heart, that can take the direction and the discipline and take it all the way to the heart is to show them that we delight in the love of God and to desire for them to delight in the love of God. The aim of all of the direction and all of the discipline and everything we do as parents goes far beyond behavior modification. It goes far beyond it. And the aim of all that we do is bound up in the cross of Jesus. It's bound up in the cross of Christ because the cross is where sinful people are forgiven and they find grace and love. Where can we go? Where do our children go? Where can any of us go when we're confronted with the truth of God's word and we are disciplined because we acknowledge that we have failed to obey God. Where does a sinner go to find hope and forgiveness? Where can we go? We go to the cross. This is where sinners go to find hope. The cross and nowhere else is where children can go to find truth in their failures as well as the gracious love of God. This is where the truth of God and the mercy of God meet. And there at the cross, we see real delight. We see the real love of God. We see something that is much further and better than just behavior modification. We see the love of God poured out for us. True Christian transformation aims at the heart. If, if you're directing or disciplining your child in such a way that you can't, stop in the middle of it and pray with them, you may be doing it with the wrong motivations. I've had to think about this so many times and have done it wrong so many times. In the midst of my instruction, in the midst of my discipline, in that moment, are you in a moment where you can cry out to God with an open and humble heart for help? Or are you just so, are you just so angry that you're gonna, you need to let your kids have a piece of your mind? You are interested in that moment in behavior modification and not their heart. This is hard work. 
and we fail often. But where do we go as parents, as adults, as, as, people, as, as family members within the church? Where do we go when we fail? We also need to go to the cross of Christ. Their, their goal and our goal is to delight in God to love him, to cherish him, to pursue him, not out of intimidation, but out of genuine love to God and trust in him, a God who loves and cares for us. Look at Proverbs 7, verse 1 to 3. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. All that we do with God's word regarding our children, instruction, repetition, even correction and discipline, it is aimed to transform their hearts so that they would delight in God. All that God tells us is like food that nourishes us. And it should be given in a way that's like honey. It should be given in a way that is sweet, not like poison. It is to be given in a way that is not bitter, but a way that introduces us to something good. Even if we don't think it's good at the moment, we know that it is good. We were told by our pediatrician when we were teaching our son, our, our firstborn, how to transition from nursing to solid food, how to introduce new foods. And it's like, well, he doesn't like it. What do we do if, if he really doesn't like it? And they're like, act like it is the most delicious thing when you're about to feed it. Like, so like, like get really excited and your kid will see that and we're like, oh, this is really good. I think I should enjoy this too. And so they're, you know, as they're, they're looking at you and they're like, okay, they're really happy about this, but this is really disgusting. But you keep doing that after a while. We actually have a picture of Cohen and his first meal ever. Here's Cohen's first solid meal. I know, right? Delightful. Remember though, He's born, sin is bound up in his heart. Okay, but listen, so he, he's never had a spoon in his mouth, and so he's not even looking at the food. He's looking at me. He's looking at my eyes. So this is the first picture of the first solid food, right? He doesn't really know what to think about it. The next one is a face full of food where he's been eating it. What's the next picture? And so he's like, I still don't know. It's like all in my mouth. I don't know. This palate is really weird. I'm not really sure. But after a belly full of it and seeing us just so excited about it, here the next picture is, uh, is this one, right? So... So every time we put him in the bunbo, don't judge me. He's like, you know, on a countertop with, with no seatbelt. And so, it's totally cool. And so now he's just, every time we put him in a bumbo, he knows that this food's coming. Mom and dad are happy. There's, this is an experience that I should delight in, and everything's going great. This is like, so he's like six months old, but then here, now forward to like 10 years old, and He's got steak and shrimp and everything, and he's feeding himself and just living it up. He's got a mouthful, and he's feeding himself, right? Okay, so obviously this is like a normal progression of like human development. These are, these are things that you want to see. But and now you can take that off so we can tell you what, what it means. God's word is, is like food, and, and when we introduce it to our kids, and it obviously, it's a different palette. It confronts us. It changes us. We, we don't know what to think about it. We ought to model like what it looks like to delight in God's word. Why? Because we want our children to become self-feeders. 
We want them to be nourished. We want them to feed themselves and learn how to do that. We want them to grow. And as the body grows physically, we grow spiritually. And we, we feast on milk, and we are told that we should, should progress into meat and things of substance. And, and there is a point where we, we let our children go to live their own lives and give them abundant freedom and things completely out of our control. And, and all the while they're in God's hands and we trust him and yet we are given responsibility for how we give direction and discipline. But most importantly, how we delight ourselves in the word of God. We need to desire. If you want your children to delight in God's word, they should see you delighting in God's word. I think we all agree that the best kind of leadership is leadership by example, not just in actions. Right? God, has God's word made its way to your heart? Has it been implanted yourself into your heart to influence not just the way you act, but what you delight in, what you love, what you cherish and pursue? You see, we, we try to come to God's word trying to figure out what is wrong with my children and how did I fix them? Where's the verse that tells me how to fix my children. And every time we come to God's word, it keeps throwing it back in our face and says, well, has this truth transformed your heart? Why? Why do we need to hear that? Because we are called children by God. This isn't just to a certain age level of children. We are all called children needing God's instruction. We need discipline. We need delight. We need direction as well. And so as we lead children to the cross, as we lead by example, we ought to be going to the cross ourselves. We need to make sure we're going there with them. We need to make sure that we are not too afraid or too neglectful to go to the cross ourselves when we give the word of God to others. We need to not fail in giving it to ourselves. As God affirms our need to instruct children, he's assuming that we are also being instructed by him. And the end result in instructing and disciplining is to teach our children that they need Jesus. They will not always get it right. They need Jesus. Your children need Jesus. Our church needs Jesus. Give them Jesus. If you give them anything, give them Jesus. And, and then your direction and your discipline and the things that you take joy in, it ought to all be about giving them Jesus and showing and explaining to them and communicating to them, and I need Jesus, and I'm going to Jesus, and he is my delight. And I go to the cross as we go to the cross together. Always give them Jesus and give yourself Jesus as you look upon your own parenting and see an abundance of regret and failure. Where does the sinner go when they've disobeyed God? We go to the cross. This is where the provision for our sin is given. This is where love is poured out. At the cross, we see the truth of our rebellious, controlling hearts. We see the love of God poured out for us. It's where we see the painful reality of disobedience, and we see the loving provision of Jesus' 
life for us. So what if we were a church that, that took hold of this call to engage in the discipling of our children? Within the nuclear family, if you have that, parents and children, and within the extended family, the, the spiritual family of the church, every person seeing themselves as a vital participant within this generational faith to delight in God, to model what it looks like to go to the cross, to depend on God, to need him, to call out sin when we see it, to be forgiving when others have sinned against us, to delight in seeing hearts changed and repentant and reconciliation between parties at conflict, to, to rejoice in the profession of faith and, and everything in between. Can you get excited about that? You know, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for us as Holy Cross? It means us taking on this, this burden and this mantle together. This is a call for all of us. It means taking this on together. Us as parents, if you're a parent, affirming your God-given role as the primary disciple-maker of your children. And considering before God, how can I give direction, discipline, and delight to my child? Us, as leaders in the church, and continuing to pray for you and implement strategies for, for coaching and equipping and encouraging, praying for you to not forsake God's call, and the responsibility to be a faithful parent, and us as a family of God, so that no person stands alone in this endeavor. The older teaching the younger. No kids that you have, that you would have more time and energy and patience and wisdom to encourage children as God is calling you to do. It means deciding to be a mentor. It means deciding even just to give a, a, kind, a kind word. It, it's like, well, that's not my kid. It's somebody else's kid. Let them figure it out. It's like, no, this is, we're the family together. Yeah, parents have certain responsibilities, but God's called me to, to model to them what it looks like to delight, model what it looks like to serve when it's not always fun. And it's a beautiful calling that we have. It's a beautiful calling. Let's walk in it faithfully.